I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. Oh, where should we start? Where should we start? Where should we start? Oklahoma continues to add through the transfer portal. There's another McCullough brother floating around out there. Uh, basketball gets the must-win over West Virginia and remains in a must-win situation as they travel to Stillwater uh, on Wednesday night. We got your true or false questions. I think we're going to start with football. I mean, we typically kind of build up to that, but there's a lot going on here with the football team. When you look at the transfer portal, Oklahoma's newest addition, Walter Rouse coming out of Stanford, had initially committed to Nebraska just on Wednesday, and then Saturday changes his mind and ends up in Norman, Oklahoma. It's the sixth offensive linemen that the Sooners have added since the end of the season. And when you consider they lost Chris Murray, they lost Anton Harrison, they lost Robert Congle, they lost Wanya Morris. They had four exits, six coming in. Now, four of those guys are prep level guys that are coming in and going to develop, led by Caden Green and Josh Bates, the two four-star guys. Then you got two three-star guys. But you're bringing in guys like Caleb Schaefer out of Miami, Ohio. You're bringing in Walter Rouse, this kid who just committed two years of eligibility. These are plug-and-play guys. These are not development guys. These are the guys that give you the opportunity to get Josh Bates a little more meat on his body and a little better understanding of the offensive schematics and the speed at this level. And they're absolutely critical to what Oklahoma is going to do in 2023. You got an offense that's probably going to have the running game as the heartbeat of its offense again this coming season. 253 yards against Florida State with a patchwork offensive line lets you know that that's probably where they're heading, especially when you consider they give up six sacks to the Seminoles with with this line that they put together. This is going to be you got you got the workhorses in Gavin Saltchuk. You got the Javante Barnes. The, these guys are going to be the key to Oklahoma's success in 2023. Didn't mean to make that rhyme. So you got to have the guys up front who can pave the way and make that happen. And adding a guard, adding a tackle is absolutely critical to that. And that's where Bill Beatenbow and that's where Jeff Levy, that's where. Um, Brent Venables, they're heading with this. And really what you're seeing happen through the transfer portal is you're you're seeing them beef up both sides of the ball. Uh, when, you, when you look both recruiting class and transfer portal, you're really heavy on the line, both sides of the ball. I think we got lots of time, and it's only January, but I think when you break down what does this team need to do between right now and when spring ball opens up, you got to get the bodies and the mentality in place on the offensive line and then across the board on the defense. 
You got you got Javante Barnes averaging four yards per carry in the bowl game. Gavin Solchek averaging six point seven yards per carry. That that's that's what you want to see happen in twenty twenty three. But what you don't want to see happen in twenty twenty three is your quarterback getting sacked six times. Now, granted, they're not going to be facing this verse kid that that they face against Florida State. Uh, 13 weeks out of the season next year. But the point is, you've got to improve your quarterback pass protection. And that's a special mentality. Both of them are special mentality. It is it is way easier to run block than it is to pass block. That's why you can go into a game against a, a defensive line where maybe you're overwhelmed. And you can, you can run the ball if you're committed to it. It's a whole different ball game when you're facing a defensive line that that overwhelms you to pass block. And that's why you had 253 rushing yards against Florida State, but you also had six quarterback sacks. you got to avoid those obvious passing downs when you're kind of behind the chains offensively. How do you fix that? Well, you do two things. Number one, you add to your, your room, right? You, you add to your, your guys, your, your player pool, and then you change your mentality. And so improving that is going to be the key for where OU goes 2023 offensively. You, you've got the guys. You've got the receivers. You've got the running backs. You've got the quarterback, like him or not. You've got the quarterback. Big 12 newcomer of the year for the offense will be a probably a front runner for the Big 12 offensive player of the year as we hit the preseason in, in August. The question mark here is going to be offensive line. And this goes a long way towards helping answer and resolve that question. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, you got another McCullough out there. Now, Oklahoma is familiar with Desan McCullough, Dan McCullough, Desan transferring in from, uh, from Indiana, 6'5", 235. He was the number, uh, nation's number 43 prospect per ESPN. Um, 49 tackles, 6.5 tackles for loss, 4 sacks last season as a freshman at Indiana. Much like what's happening on the offensive side of the ball. Now, this guy's younger, okay? So you got, you got the Rouse kid on the offensive line. He's got two years of eligibility, but he's a four-year player. Desan McCullough, it was a one-year player, freshman All-American. They're still expecting a return, immediate dividends on that investment. Then you got younger brother Day, who was a four-star safety prospect, the number four overall player out of the state of Indiana. 20 scholarship offers. Florida wanted him. Michigan wanted him. Penn State wanted him. Uh, amongst others, 20, 20 offers in, in total. So you got these two guys. They are in. They're on board. They're members of this team starting in 2023 on campus and everything. But then we learn there's another brother out there, Deland. Safety, grad transfer, two years of eligibility. He's in the portal. Also coming out of Indiana. He played at Miami, Ohio. Played at Indiana. Had 17 scholarship offers coming out of high school. Now, here's the thing. Oklahoma fans feel like they should be, I'm trying to think how I can say this and, and sound somewhat um, optimistic, but not over the top. You know what I'm saying? I, th- I think Oklahoma fans feel like they, the Sooners are in the running. They're, they're the front runners because you got brother number one, you got brother number two. But don't forget that dad is the running back coach for Notre Dame. Dad is the running back coach for Notre Dame, and Dylan carries dad's name. He's, he's the second. 
dealing McCullough the second. Now, I, I'm not saying he's going to Notre Dame. I'm not saying he's going to Oklahoma. But I, I do think if the Sooners are the front runners, then Notre Dame's probably your top competitor here. I think if, no, if Notre Dame is the front runner because of where Dad is as, the, as, the, as a running backs coach, then Oklahoma's probably the top competitor for the Irish. But the point is this. Oklahoma, 6-7 and seven on the season. First losing season since 1998. But the pieces are coming together, and I'm always going to be on the side of optimism. When you look at what this program did in the first year of Brent Venables, I don't want to rehash everything that happened with Lincoln Riley leaving and the players and the coaches and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is this. Number one in total yards in the Big 12, offensive yards. Number one rushing yards per game in the Big 12. Number one in in defensive interceptions in the Big 12. Number one in tackles for loss in the Big 12. The, the end result was not a product that you want to see happen every year. In fact, if, if you go six and seven in 2023, Brent Venables, it's not just going to be the, the grumpy fans who want Brent Venables on the hot seat. Everyone's going to be like, okay, this Brent Venables thing is kind of looking dicey. So you got to win. You got to win in 2023. But six and seven could have easily been 10 and two. And, and when you, you look at the pieces that this team's putting together, whether, whether, whether you get the third McCullough brother or not, this team has put together some good parts, both through the transfer portal, who are going to pay immediate dividends, and then through the re- recruiting class that you're going to develop. I, I, I don't see how you don't think this future's bright in 2023. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, let me, uh, let me correct something I said in the opening segment. Walter Rouse, the offensive lineman who transferred in from Stanford, only has one year of eligibility. I, I, I think I said he had two. I'm, in fact, I'm confident I said he had two, and he doesn't. So there we go. No need to hit me up on Twitter. No need to email me. Um, I fixed it myself. Walter Rouse comes into Oklahoma with one year of eligibility left on the offensive line. Basketball gets a very much needed 77 to 76 win over West Virginia in Norman. Um, 100% was a must win game for the Sooners. And it's, it's really, I mean, it breaks down pretty easy. This, this is not rocket science to understand why this was a must win game. When you look at Oklahoma's Big 12 conference slate, they've got three losses. They lost to Kansas, Iowa State, Texas, um, not necessarily in that order, but those are your three losses. All of those were competitive losses, but they're competitive losses against the top three teams in the Big 12. And and really, when you you look at this right now, as it is right now on January 15th, 2023, 
it's pretty cut and dry between the top half and the bottom half of the Big 12. Kansas is your, is your top team. You got Kansas State doing better than expected. Texas is in there. Iowa State, even TCU. That's your top five. And then you go into the bottom five, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia. All those guys are competing not to be number 10 or number nine. And the reason why is number 10, number nine, you're not making the NCAA tournament. You're just not. You're not making the NCAA tournament. Number eight, number seven, going to be high end of the bubble. Number six, you're in. And, and when you, Oklahoma, you, you lost on the road to Kansas. You lost at home. You lost at home to Iowa State. Sorry. You, you lost at you lost to Texas. This was a game that you can't afford to give up. Because every time you lose at home, you got to get one back on the road. And this was, you got one back against Texas Tech. So you're in the plus. Now you got a chance for Oklahoma State on Wednesday night, and you're even. But you dropped this game to West Virginia. By the way, the Mountaineers 0 5 in Big 12 play. You dropped this game to West Virginia, and that becomes even a bigger hill to overcome. And there, there's a big difference, a, a massive difference, even just looking at it, the way it looks. It's a massive difference between two and three in conference play and one and four in conference play. Had Oklahoma lost that game against the Mountaineers on Saturday, they'd be set at one and four. That's Oklahoma State territory. That's where the Cowboys are right now. So this, this game was, was, was huge. And it, it even moves on over to Wednesday night. That's still a must-win game because you're trying to keep those teams that are below you, below you. And sitting at 2-3 and three in Big 12 play, Oklahoma State at 1-4, and four, you're going to Gallagher-Iba, but you don't want them to creep up even with you. You, you don't want Oklahoma State at 2-4. and four. You want Oklahoma State at 1-5 and five because, because... If you're if you're if, if Oklahoma State's two and four coming out of this this Wednesday night, mean that means you they've gained ground. So that said, must win for Oklahoma on on on, on Wednesday night. And, and when when you look at this team, there's there's a couple of things that stand out. But but the biggest thing that stands out to me basketball wise is that Grant Grant Sherfield, he is the MVP of this team. And, and you really thought coming into the season, C.J. Nolan had a lot of hype coming out of high school. Of course, you got the Groves brothers, and Tanner Groves is supposed to be the catalyst here. But, man, this team rises and falls in Grant Sherfield. He makes so much happen. 22 points against West Virginia. He leads the team 17.4 points per game on the season. He also leads the team in assists and steals. Back-to-back 20-point games, 22 against West Virginia on Saturday, 25 in the loss against Kansas, but that game was competitive because of Sherfield. And when you look at the idea that they lost Elijah Harkless, they lost Mo Gibson, this position, this guard position, was a big question mark. Who was going to be that guy? And, I mean, Milo Suzanne, I love him. Huge, huge ceiling for him. But it's Sherfield right now. Even as much, I mean, look at this. He's averaging 17.4 points per game, like I said. Elijah Harkless, 
doing good at UNLV, but 16.3. Mo Gibson, eh, DePaul's okay. He's 15.2. So you're you're losing those scores, but Porter Mosier was able to replace them with a guy who's at this point of the season averaging more points per game than the guys that they lost. Now, I think to me, the second thing that pops out on on this is, you know, Sherfield's obviously the MVP. I think the second thing that pops is um, the the bench. They're going to go as far as this bench takes them, in my opinion. And, and, I, I, look, there, there's so much there with the Groves, with really with Tanner Groves. You got some really good, you got some indifferent, and then you got some questionable, borderline, just bad stuff, right, with Tanner Groves. Just, just going throughout the season. It, it's like a, a Jekyll and Hyde type thing, and, and I love the kid, and I'm glad he's a Sooner. But, but the bench, when you, 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 Mosier's shrunk down his playing guys. He, he played nine. He went nine. And that's, that's with Owe getting in there for seven minutes. Bijan Cortez, eight minutes. And, and I think I, I'm all for seeing more from Cortez. But the rise of C.J. Nolan on this bench, I think that's going to be the catalyst moving forward. If you if you can't get get bench points and you, and you go back the earlier losses even the season opening loss the bench was was terrible as far as production and so I think you have to give Mosier the credit he deserves this is a, a defensively they're they're very tenacious they held West Virginia um, to well I guess Mountaineers actually shot well but fifty six point four percent from the floor but. I mean, they are tenacious in the way that they pursue the ball. They're tenacious in the way that they close out. They're a decent rebounding team. Uh, they had ten point rebound, uh, ten point, a ten rebound margin over the Mountaineers. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the two factors of Grant Sherfield, and it's going to come down to this bench. Speaking of basketball, we got true or false coming up, and we actually have a Thunder true or false statement. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, here we go. Everybody's favorite part of the podcast is the reason why you listen. It's the reason why I record so that we can work together to produce some good content through our conversations. True or false, you send me your true or false statements. I tell you whether I think they are true or false. And most of the times, I'll tell you why I think that way. Sometimes I just don't know. Uh, But here we go. We got five of them uh, for this episode. We'll start with Sarah. Sarah says this, true or false, Tyrone Broden will be a Sooner. 
this is a good, a really good question because we have spent some time in this episode talking about the transfer portal. If you're not familiar with Tyrone Broden, uh, I would be shocked because you're probably looking for Oklahoma content, which is why you came across this podcast. But tall receiver, 6'7", um, out of Bowling Green, the last two seasons, over 1,000 yards receiving, I think 12 touchdowns the last two seasons. He's, he's a guy that's really highly recruited. Uh, I think Pitt was the first to offer him. He was most recently on campus with Arkansas. He's been to Penn State. Texas A&M is in the mix. He did have a visit to Norman right before Penn State. And Dylan Gabriel and him seemed to hit it off, had some chemistry, even exchanged some cryptic tweets back and forth, was supposed to make his commitment last Wednesday, and then announced that he's not he's gonna hold off. He's still recruitment is still open. And and that that's always kind of a red flag. Uh, not not that there's something wrong with the kid, but maybe something in the situation where something changed or maybe a better NIL deal came along, something along those lines. Um, his greatest asset, I think, is his speed. Oh, excuse me, his size. He's fast too, but I mean, six seven would be like the tallest receiver in Power Five. I read that somewhere, and, and Oklahoma could use a guy like this. I mean, talk about a, a tight end playing wide receiver. That nuts when you look at the size. I don't think he's coming to OU though. I just there's just something about this that makes me think Penn State or Arkansas. And I can't really put my finger on it. I want to be wrong about this. I really do. I, I, I love this kid's ability. I love what he brings to the table. Um, but I just, there was some things that happened Twitter-wise that made me think initially he was coming to OU. And then there were some things that happened Twitter-wise right after that that made me think, He's not coming to OU. And again, it's a lot between him and Dylan Gabriel. You could probably look it up, but the weekend after Norman, he was he was the week after Norman, he was in in at Penn State, tweeted some things around. Dylan Gabriel kind of did an emoji like he was shocked. And Broden says, Hey, message me, uh, DM me. Um that kind of stuff just makes me think, obviously, he was clearly still in play, but also makes me think that, you know, he's He's asking Dylan Gabriel to DM him because he, I'm going to explain why I'm not coming to OU type situation. And I could be totally reading this wrong. Here's what I do know. I know he's he's either made a decision or is incredibly close to making a decision because he did ask for someone to help him with an edit. And you all know that what that means. If, you got, if you're putting an edit together, that means you're just waiting on that to come out. And so you can make your decision officially known uh, to the public. But Sarah, I appreciate your question, but I don't think he's coming to OU, and I 110% want to be wrong about that. Steven says this, true or false, Jackson Arnold was the best quarterback in the 2023 class. Um, now, there's there's the immediate answer, and then there's the, the, the long-term answer. Uh, the long-term answer here is, you know, time will tell. Uh, time will tell which of these three quarterbacks, you got the Manning kid, you got Malachi Nelson out at USC, uh, and then you got Jackson Arnold. Now, Jackson Arnold seems to be very polished. Um, the the bar is set pretty high for him uh, as far as the expectation level when he gets on campus. I think he steps on campus. Uh, there's no way. I mean, there's just no way he's not immediately QB number two. 
Uh, we don't want to bring out the Davis Bevel argument again and, and break that all down again. Uh, but there's just, I mean, when, when if General Booty couldn't play above Davis Bevel, there's just no way. I did. I just, I can't imagine a world in which Jackson Arnold is not QB number two going into 2023. He won't be QB number one. And, and I know a lot of people want that. Um, now, there's a minority, but there's still a lot of them that want him just to step on campus and be that guy. Um, but that's not going to happen. This, this is Dylan Gabriel's team in 2023. And then you move over to Jackson Arnold after that. But as far as which of these three guys is the best quarterback, time is going to tell. I, I, I am a firm believer that Lincoln Riley will not finish throughout Malachi Nelson's career at USC. I'll be shocked. If Malachi Nelson stays three years at USC and Lincoln Riley's there for all three years, I will be shocked on that. And and, and that and to me, that means Malachi Nelson may not be at USC all three years. Um, there's I, I, I'm higher on Arch Manning than a lot of OU fans are. Uh, there's some things there. I just, of course, there's, there's the bloodline, and I agree. I don't think he's a five-star if his last name's not Manning, but I think he's better than the three-star. I think that, that a lot of OU fans are saying that he truly is. But at the end of the day, Jackson Arnold was the Gatorade player of the year nationally. And so I think the, long, the long-term answer here is time is going to tell with these three quarterbacks, and there could be someone who comes in here on this 23, 23, 23 class that we're not even talk about, talking about who just kind of takes the cake, right? There's Josh Allens all over the board uh, when you talk about college players. But the top three, Jackson Arnold, Malachi Nelson, Arch Manning, maybe it's just the sooner in me, or maybe it's the fact that he was the Gatorade Player of the Year. I got to go with Jackson Arnold. So I'm going to say true, Stephen. That's true. Jackson Arnold was the best quarterback in the 2023 class. Uh, moving on, Pedro. Hey, Pedro. Um Javante Barnes, Gavin Solchuk are going to be the next Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> it, man, it's, just, it's hard. Because, look, the, the bowl game was fantastic. You know, and we talked about that earlier in the podcast. You look at the 253 rushing yards as a team. You look at Barnes, four yards per carry. Solchuk, 6.7 yards per carry. You, you look at that one of them is a straight-up runner. Uh, power guy. One of them is a, is a guy that could can do some things out of the backfield as a receiver. Um, and and you know, look, Joe Mixon and Samaje P. Ryan. The fact that they're still playing together in the NFL is is incredible. I, I just mean that was such a dynamic duo. And and the, gosh, I man, I'm so high on both of these running backs. But then again, where does Marcus Major play into this? Is he is he completely out of the picture? Um, this is a hard one, Pedro, because you, I do think, I do think when, when you look at the blue, the blueprint from that bowl game against Florida state, if you get a little bit of help from defense, just a little bit of help from defense, if, if Salchuk doesn't fumble it, one, one thing here or there, OU wins that game against Florida state. But I think I think Brent Venables probably sat down with Jeff Levy after the bowl game and said, guys, this is what we want. We want a smash mouth running attack that can also go vertical when we need to and when we want to. And then we're just going to get better on defense. I, I think that's the whole thing there. And because of that, I think 
it's not out of the realm of possibility for Oklahoma to have two 1,000-yard running backs next year. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it's absolutely in the conversation. And if that were to happen, you you got the Chris Brown, DeMarco Murray effect. You got the uh, you got the Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon effect. You got the you know you you go back to I mean you just Oklahoma has has traditionally had pairs of running backs. Kewan Jones, Adrian Peterson. You can keep going back. Um, and so yeah, I, I think I think it's very much going to be the game plan. And so because of that, I want to say yes. I want to say it's true. But then you got to factor in the injury probability and so forth. And so I'm going to say this, Pedro. If they stay healthy for the next two years, Oklahoma is going to have the best running back duo in the Big 12 slash SEC, depending on what happens there. Yeah, I mean, SEC, I, I think that the, the duo of these two guys – would be better next year and then in 24 than anybody that the SEC has to offer. Just throwing that out there with my fandom clearly on my sleeve. So because of that, I'm going to say the answer is true because that's exactly what Oklahoma had with Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan. They had a fantastic offense that was prolific, but it was prolific because of the guy pulling the trigger at the quarterback position and the best running back combo in the Big 12. Charlie says this. Oh, it's softball season. We got less than four weeks, guys, until the softball season starts. Charlie says, true or false, Oklahoma softball will be better than they were a year ago. As hard as, hard as it is to answer this question, the, the, I think the answer is true. And they were the national champions a year ago. But how high is the ceiling on this team? That was a fantastic run that they made last year. But keep in mind, they didn't win the Big 12 championship. They won the World Series. They won the, they won the championship that counted. But they didn't win the Big 12 championship. I think Oklahoma State is going to be good again this year. I think Texas is going to continue to improve. And, and I, I was very much on the record saying that Texas needed to do what they did last year. They needed to get to Oklahoma City for the World Series, not the Big 12 Championship, because they, they got bounced by the Cowgirls in a bad way. I think that final was like 6-1 to one or something like that. But that said, yes, Charlie, I, I think – the answer to this question is going to be true because not only are the Sooners going to be the front runners to win the Big 12, they're going to be the front runners to win the championship again, the, the Women's College World Series. And and you're they're going to be number one coming into the season. Um, you had the top player in the nation in Jocelyn Allo a year ago. You're going to start the season with the top player in the nation in Tiara Jennings. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there is no... No reason to believe that this team's going to take a step backwards. There's also no reason to believe that they're going to tread water. And it, and I know when you're the national champion, treading water is good because that means you repeat. But I I think I think that one run loss to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament still got under the skin of some of these players. I think the cockiness and arrogance of Oklahoma State moving moving through the World Series. Got under their skin. 
And, and by the way, don't, don't forget, that went eight innings, that, that Bedlam game in, in the Big 12 championship. So they were close to being the dual champion conference. I guess it would be the trifecta, right? Because you win the regular season, you win the Big 12 tournament, and then you win the national championship. They were, they were close to that. They won the regular season. They won the national championship. I, I think they can, they can get the trifecta this year, um, and, and especially when you consider this. The health of Jordy Ball, yeah, they, they, you could easily attribute, and I'm, I'm not a big excuse guy, okay, and that's not what I'm trying to do, you, but you could easily excuse that Big 12 tournament loss to the injury of Jordy Ball, but I think, I think they're going to be strong from the circle, I think they're going to be vicious, just brutal, because they, they lost Jocelyn Allo, who was the best hitter in the sport. But this lineup is going to be even more stacked than it was a year ago when you consider what Patty Gasso did through the through the transfer portal. So I think you have the usual suspects in Big 12 softball this year. I think you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas. All will be top 25 programs. Iowa State was close last year. Baylor traditionally has been uh, in and out of the out of the, the NCAA tournament. The Bears could could move in there and, ma- and make a run at the at the NCAA tournament. But I, th- I think it's the top three. I think it's the usual suspects from last year, and I think OU's the cream of the crop. So as crazy as it sounds, when we're talking about a national championship team, Charlie, I agree with you. I think OU softball will be better than what they were a year ago. Now, to my knowledge, this is the first time we've ever had an Oklahoma City Thunder question on true or false. But we've got it, and it comes from Kevin And Kevin says this, true or false, Oklahoma City Thunder will be playoff contenders this year. I don't see how that's not true, Kevin. I mean, full disclosure, I've never tried to hide this fact. I'm not not an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Um, I don't hate the Thunder, but I'm, I'm not a fan. Some people feel like I'm a hater just because I, I, I don't support the home team, so to speak. But what, they're, they're 20 and 23. I think if the, of course, we haven't even hit the all-star break yet, but if it stopped right now, they're just on the outside looking in. I mean, they're, they're a half a game back from a playoff spot from the, when those play-in games. So as of right now, season hasn't reached the midway point yet. But as of right now, Kevin, that question's already true. They're contenders. Because 10 teams, I mean, technically I count the play-in as the playoffs. And there's 10 teams that get to do that. You're a half game out of being one of those 10 teams. And so it's way better than tanking, right? I mean, if if you're a Thunder fan and and you you have to be enjoying this season, you can't be frustrated. They're, They're just barely below 500. You can't be frustrated at that. You see the potential of this team, and, and they have moments like when they when they put up 150 on Milwaukee, right? They, they have those moments where you're thinking, wow, I mean, this, this team this team has it going on. But then you have the, what was they just came off of a, of a five-game losing streak to win three in a row. You beat the Bulls the other night, but then you, you – you lose at Houston. So it, it still is a little bit Jekyll and Hyde based on the, the health of SGA. 
But at the end of the day, they're beating good teams. They're beating quality teams. But then they have those head-scratching losses when I say to that, welcome to the NBA. But yeah, Kevin, I agree. I think that's true. Uh, The Thunder will be playoff contenders. I think they are playoff contenders right now, even though we're just still reaching the halfway point of the season. All right, that's it. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, Shorter edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. I told you guys last uh, in December, we're going to try to reformat this. uh, Try to make the most of opportunity uh, through my schedule. So we're going to look at some shorter podcasts. But please, 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 by all means, keep sending in your true or false questions. Hit me me up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Email Sports Heartland, Sports underscore Heartland at Yahoo.com. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner. Bye.